Well, good morning, Pastor Allen, and we're so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, I don't know how your week went. Ours was difficult, a lot of sickness, and I was praying really hard yesterday that I wouldn't get sick. Uh, my wife was real sick. Um, she's here today. She's better. Um, so God answered my prayer. I appreciate that. Love being here with you folks. So we're glad you're here. We are finishing up our series for our city this morning, but we are not stopping to be for our city. <laughs> Obviously, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do trunk or treat, but this is uh, why the church is here, uh, to serve, your com- serve folks and serve our community. So today, I want to start with a question, a uh, pretty serious question. I think people answer this kind of flippantly. Uh, when I Googled it, I found out pretty high numbers. Well, I was surprised. Do you believe in miracles? And uh, the statistics I found were anywhere from 66% to 80% of people believe in miracles. And I thought, no, no, that can't be right. So I got to thinking, depends how you ask the question. And I think more, more people are saying miracles are just beating the odds. Remember the miracle on ice? Olympics, when the American uh, amateur hockey players beat the professional Soviet hockey players, they called it a miracle. Was it a miracle? No, it was just beating the odds. Uh, the Music City miracle, football one. Same thing. It wasn't a miracle, just beating the odds. So we're not talking about just beating the odds. We're talking about literally a supernatural or divine miracle. I think the number would be a lot smaller. But the foundation of Christianity is built on a miracle, right? This guy dies and three days later comes back to life? All right. So by definition, if you're a Jesus follower, you believe in miracles. Or you should. But even so, sometimes we... You know, if I ask you, you believe that Jonah was in that belly of that fish for three days? And we say, eh, I don't know if I believe that one. It's kind of crazy, right? <laughs> uh, if you bring back Jesus from the dead, he could do that. But uh, <clears throat> for today's topic, it's going to be important that you believe in miracles. Now, we look at our communities, they, it, it, it's overwhelming. The needs, the problems, uh, government's been throwing money at it. They haven't fixed it. Things have gotten worse. Um, what can we do? We always become numb to it. I, it's just bad, and I just don't want to know about it. You know, my, just focus on my life. But as Jesus followers, we, we can't do that. God doesn't allow us to do that. He gives us instructions, which we're going to look at, to be, be involved. So we're going to look at a miracle that Jesus performed, and we're going to draw some conclusions from his miracle about us and today. And if you grew up in church or been in church a while, you've heard this story, another story. Uh, but um, if not, we're going to read it out of John, mostly out of John, and we couldn't put the first seven verses on your outline, didn't have enough room, so you have to look at the screen or look, actually look at a Bible or your smartphone, okay? So here it starts, John chapter 6. After this, now after this, Jesus has just found out that his good friend, relative, John the Baptist has been beheaded. That'd be pretty traumatic, wouldn't it? That'd be pretty emotional. So that's the state Jesus is in at this point. He crosses over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee. Like I said, we've been there. It's not really big. It's just kind of a lake. <clears throat> at this time, it was also known as the Sea of Tiberias. The town of Tiberias is still there today. Actually, it's the largest city on the Sea of Galilee. And it was built back just before Je- during Jesus' time, before Jesus, because the emperor's name was Tiberius, so they named it after the emperor. Of course, emperors change, and we change the name. We change the names of Cape Canaveral to Cape Kennedy, airports, and all these things to honor famous people. So uh, today we call it Sea of Galilee. 
A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because, why would they follow him? <laughs> because they saw his miracles as he had healed the sick. So, uh, never seen this before. This is, you know, kind of the greatest show on earth of his day. Uh, so people are drawn to this. Everybody's drawn to it because it's the thing. But also, obviously, if you're sick, you're desiring healing. So that's, that's a scenario. That's a situation. And so Jesus climbs a hill, next verse, and sat down with his disciples around him. So he just he goes off to his side, up on a hill with his disciples. Tells it was Jewish Passover celebration, which we call Easter time. So it's in the spring of the season, spring season of the year. But can't get away from the crowd, right? So Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. All right. So that's the situation, and we're going to read some in Mark. We're going to find this has been kind of taken all day long. Uh, he turns to Philip, one of the disciples, and asks, "Where can you buy food? Where can we buy food?" To feed all these people. And we're going to find out how many people in a minute. Uh, why Philip? Well, as I was studying, Philip was from this region. Now, uh, you know, we had some folks from upstate New York here this morning. If I went where they live, I wouldn't know where to find anything. I would ask them, hey, where is the grocery store? Where is the doctor? Where is the pharmacy? Whatever, right? So Jesus asking is Philip, which is interesting that we see Philip's response and Jesus' response. He's really setting up his miracle. He, and here it says he was testing Philip. I don't think Philip passes, but that's beside the point. <laughs> he already knew what he was going to do, and we're going to find out what he's going to do. But Philip's reply is he doesn't say where, but he asks how. Even if we work for months, we couldn't have enough money to feed them. So he's thinking ahead, okay, I know where the grocery store is, <laughs> but where is the money coming from? which is the logical, normal response that any of us would have, right? So, we want to look at some com components for a supernatural divine miracle to happen because we need a miracle. Our society, our culture needs a miracle. So first you have to have an impossible need. All right, so they didn't have money to buy food for all these people. Impossible, Right? In our situation, the, the crises in our culture are impossible, right? The drug problem just seems impossible. Uh, peop, homeless people. We talked about foster care, crisis in families. Uh, we just see crises all over the place. It just seems impossible. So we have the impossible need. We got that component, right, in our culture. So the story goes on. <clears throat> it's actually late afternoon at this point. Mark is telling us. And uh, his disciples say, hey, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowd away. <laughs> so they, they can buy their own food, right? And so we look at the problems in our culture, and we sometimes say, you know, get, leave me alone. <laughs> All right? You fix, you fix it yourself. You figure it out yourself, right? That's a, a natural response from us. Natural response from the disciples. Uh, send them away. Let them take, you know, find something for them to eat themselves. But Jesus told him what? We already read this in John. Here in Mark it says, you feed them. It's our problem. We need to take responsibility for this. They've been following me, so we're going to take care of this issue. Don't send them away. And of course, their response is with what? Again, we have to work for months. There's enough money to buy food for all these people. 
We got an impossible situation and we ha- don't have the resources to fix it or solve it, right? Doesn't that sound like our cities and our communities? I wouldn't know how to solve it if I had the resources. I don't know how to deal with drug addiction. I, I don't. Um, some of you may have training in that. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. But besides, where are the resources? Like I said, the government's throwing money at these problems for years. So we've got the impossible situation. So secondly, for this issue, problem to be solved here, uh, someone must be willing to give what they have. So if we get back to the story, who gave what they had? And this could be pretty interesting. So Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, well, uh, Jesus, there's this little boy here. <laughs> now remember, we got to work months to get enough food to feed these people. And Andrew's saying, uh, Jesus, there's this little boy here, young boy here. He's got five loaves and two fish. Kind of ridiculous, right? But he says, what could that be in this, this size crowd? Now, we don't know the details, but I'm assuming the disciples had some resources. Judas was the treasurer. They, they must have had some resources, must have had some money. They didn't offer their resources. They offered the resources of this little boy. And it reminds me that so often we use age as an excuse. I'm too young. I'm too old to do this or do that. Don't ever use age as an excuse. This was a young boy that Jesus used to perform one of the, most, the largest miracles that we are recorded or we're aware of. But the response is, what good is it? I mean, this is just five loaves and two fish. There's thousands of people. So the next thing is components necessary for a miracle to happen is there must be a willingness to obey. Now, who obeying who? Well, Jesus is going to give the disciples instructions. All right? Okay, at this point, Jesus is taking action. He's going to solve the issue, solve the problem. But he's going to use little boy. He's going to use the disciples. And so he gives the disciples instruction. Next verse. It says, Jesus ordered basically disciples to tell everyone to sit down. Of course, everybody had to obey and sit down, but he gave the instruction to the disciples. And so all the people sat down, grassy slopes. Another uh, gospel writer talks about how he divided them up in groups of 50, did the logistics. But the number, we're given the number at this point, about 5,000 men. I don't know why, but they don't count women and children. I'm sure women and children are there. So I'm thinking 15,000, 20,000 people. You ever been to an event with 15,000, 20,000 people? Maybe a football game, a basketball game, something. Not a, I'm not talking about high school. I'm talking about professional or college or something. That's a lot of people, right? It's kind of people everywhere. So that's the situation. People everywhere, all hungry. Jesus says, have them all sit down. And then what's Jesus do? Took the loaves, gave thanks to God. Thank you, God, for what you've provided and what you're going to do. And distributed them to the people. And I don't know how this happened, logistics. Logistics tells me that Jesus, they had to multiply outside of Jesus' hands somehow. It got done. All the people got fed. Did the same thing with the fish. So maybe when Jesus divided the fish, he gave the disciples, they divided them, whatever. Thousands of people got fed in a relatively short amount of time. So with very, very little, five loaves and two fish, thousands and thousands of people, 
They all were fed. So with little, God can do what? Great or much. Let me try and give you a silly illustration. <laughs> all right. My grandson told me this basketball costs $45. Somebody told me you can buy one for $5. But anyway, so how much is this ball worth? Well, it's really worth, this one, particular one's worth $45, right? In my hand, it's worth $45. If I was to give it to LeBron James or some other basketball superstar, how much would it be worth then? It would be worth millions, tens of millions of dollars, right? Same ball, different hand. All right, two. So we got five loaves and two fish <laughs> in a little boy's hand, given to God, what? Given to Jesus, able to feed thousands and thousands of people. But somebody had to be willing to obey the instructions of Jesus. Next component is this. For a divine miracle is this. The need has to be satisfied. The miracle has to happen, right? <laughs> and that's exactly what happens in this story, but even beyond our expectation. And that's how God operates, isn't it? Uh, Mark's account puts it this way. They all ate, not just what they needed, not just enough to get by, but how much? As much as they wanted. This was a all-you-can-eat buffet. Well, bread and fish, anyway. <laughs> not too many options, but lots of it, right? So God not only, through Jesus, supplied the need, he went beyond and gave them more than they needed, as much as they wanted. And so if you read down a little bit later in the, in the chapter, we don't have time this morning, but again, this conversation about, you know that story in the Old Testament, Moses, where God gave Moses and the Israelites manna every day, to eat, just gave it to them for like 40 years. Um, gets in this conversation. And so the crowd's thinking, like we're thinking, hey, I got a free meal today. Can I get a free meal tomorrow? Logical, right? So in that conversation, um, we're going to pick it up in verse 34. It says, sir, meaning Jesus, give us that bread every day. <laughs> no problem for you to provide this. Uh, you know, why don't you feed us every day? And Jesus uses it as a teaching moment, teaching opportunity. He says, I am the bread of life. Not physical bread for physical hunger, but I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Ooh, we like to hear, hearing that, don't we? And if you remember week one, we talked about the woman at the well. What did Jesus tell her? Believes in me will never be thirsty again. She said, give me the water. And they're saying, give me the food. So God wants to do more than just supply physical hunger, right? He wants to supply spiritual hunger. In fact, even more than the physical hunger. He wants to provide for that emptiness, that lostness, that um, hollow place that we have in our lives. And sin, we all sin, we all messed up. It's broken our relationship with God. It's made us empty spiritually and God doesn't want us to stay there. He doesn't want it to be like that. And so he sent Jesus to die in our place. And we see that forgiveness and see that salvation and connect with God, have that relationship. But we look for so many other places to fill that void, to fill that brokenness. 
And it's kind of like this. I love this illustration. It's kind of like drinking seawater. If you're thirsty and all this around is seawater, what are you going to do? If you don't know better, you're going to drink the water. Water quenches thirst, but does seawater quench thirst? No, it makes it worse. And that's when we look at our culture, we look at our society, people are turning this way and that way, trying to solve this inner hunger, this inner thirst with things that only are making it worse. And only Jesus can satisfy this, this hunger, this thirst. And so I put in your outline, our provision is his priority. Our provision to have our spiritual hunger and thirst satisfied it was God's priority. Why else would Jesus leave heaven and come to earth? Because in God's love, we became, our need became his priority. And so he sent Jesus to come to the stinky, rotten earth. Can't imagine how, what a sacrifice that would be. Hang out with us for 33-some years. Be mistreated, abused, and eventually death. Why? Because our provision, our need, is his priority. So ultimately, Jesus is the miracle. Jesus is the miracle. The miracle of having our spiritual hunger and thirst satisfied. (laughs) Jesus is the miracle. Catch up, please. You may argue about this miracle, that miracle ever happened. But to me, the greatest miracle is the miracle of salvation. The miracle of a person turning from their own selfish ways, admitting that God, I have turned my back on you, I've sinned against you, I've broken your heart, I've pushed you away, and yet you still love me. And for me to humble myself and admit that and ask God's forgiveness is a miracle. And so if you're a Jesus follower this morning, you're the greatest miracle. I'm the greatest miracle. And when we, other people's lives are transformed, that's the greatest miracle. Just heard, I think, 18 people, uh, this campaign yesterday in Hagerstown, 18 miracles as people began a, relationship, a personal relationship with God. But another component of miracle is this, a divine miracle. The results can only be attributed to God. The only way those people got fed was why? Because God fed them. The only reason you or I have ever been forgiven of our sins and had a personal relationship with God is because God has forgiven us. God sent his son to die for us. So, continuing with the story, and after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers that nothing is wasted, and that's an Topic for another day. (laughs) So they picked up the pieces, filled 12 baskets with the scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Not only was everybody full, ate all they wanted, there was even more resources left. But here's the key. Next verse. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they explained, surely he is the prophet. He is the prophet of God that we've been expecting. Nobody else can get credit for this. Nobody else deserves credit for it. God alone must have done this. I love this expression. God wants to show up and show off. He showed up and showed off that day, didn't he? 
But we have the same God today that they had 2,000 years ago. And God wants to show up and show off for us if we will participate with him. So quickly, I just want to, before we finish, I want to address three, and Angie mentioned it, uh, three types of people needed for a divine miracle. And the first one you probably never thought of or much thought of much when you read this story. How do you think that young boy had a lunch? Probably his mom packed. Moms, right? You probably packed it for him. She didn't want her son to go hungry. And she packed it. She anticipated. Uh, she set up the miracle. She didn't realize she was setting up the miracle. She was just providing for her son. And so we need lunch packers. We need behind-the-scenes people. We need set-up people. I think of Mr. Henry. He folds the bulletin. Somebody comes here and gets that bulletin, folds it, maybe takes it home, reads it, gets saved. Doesn't even know Mr. Henry. People that clean the church. It's nice to come to a clean church, right? People behind the scenes that set up potential for a miracle here on Sunday morning or even through the week. So we need lunch packers. Secondly, we need a sacrificial giver like the young boy, right? The amazing thing about that gift was it really seemed like it was senseless, right? I'm a little boy. I'm going to give five loaves and two fish to Jesus to feed thousands of people. That seems senseless. It seems foolish. It seems, disciples said, what difference is it going to make? But generosity is God's nature. And if we're a Jesus follower, we're little Jesuses, we are to have the nature of God. In fact, any gift, financial gift, gift of time, gift of your talents, is a sacrifice. You could use it other ways, other times, other places, right? But it requires a sacrificial gift, a giver. And thirdly, there has to be hands and feet. Hands and feet. And I've said this at the beginning of the series, why did Jesus leave us here on earth? between the time that we become a Jesus follower and the time we die. Why, why are we here? It's to be his hands and feet, to obey him, to be the way that Jesus ministers to the folks around us in our community. So, if we obey, God will provide. Disciples set people down, they distributed the food, but God provided and so for us to have a miracle in our culture, in our society, our cities today, we need a miracle. I think we'd all agree with that, right? Some of us can be lunch packers. And maybe at different times we have different functions. Some of us, probably all of us, need to be sacrificial givers. And all of us need to be hands and feet. And as Angie said, one of the easiest, simplest way to do this in the next couple of weeks is to be involved in Trunk or Treat. And we hope you will. We're going to get a testimony of a guy that was ministered to and his life was transformed. Actually, a ministry in Hagerstown. So my mom, she was in the streets. She had an addiction. It got to the point that she relocated to Hagerstown for a better environment and a better life. She went to the W House. Now, at the time, I was about 15, 16, and she sent me to a rehab I did about eight months at Vision Quest Youth Academy. It's like a boot camp for bad kids. 
So I'm out there with these kids that's locked up for robberies and whatever they done done, they end up there. When I'm just there because I went through a drug program that thought I needed more help. So I ended up back in Baltimore because I needed a box address. And my grandma was the only one with residence at the time. Back down there with the, the negativity and I went to jail. I was 17 at the time. They charged me as an adult. They offered us probation. So I just took it and ran. And I ended up in Hagerstown with my mom. Had to start over time and time again. I've just been lost. I've been lost out here in these streets on my own. And in the process and in the journey, I ended up here at Reach. And what they've done for me has been amazing. I've got a job, case manager got me housing. They either gave me supplies to move in my new house, they moved me in my new house. I'd probably be dead in jail if this place wasn't here. I can almost guarantee you I wouldn't be as successful or as productive as I am today as this shelter has helped me be. This place is a blessing from God. It has done so much for me in my life and other people's life. I'm one story out of, I don't know how many people they help. It's like a family I never knew that was just waiting for me. Thank you for having me. One miracle among many because of ministry, in this case, uh, reach in, in Hagerstown. So I went in with this question. <clears throat> what act of obedience is God asking you to take? Maybe it's involved in reach. I don't know. We talked about foster care last week. Uh, Pastor Clint talked about drug addiction uh, issues and other things. What act of obedience is God asking you to take? Because that's a component for a miracle to happen, right? People obedient in, in, in reach allowed this miracle to happen in this young man's life. So, finishing up, we're going to give you some, some Bible readings verses for this week. A couple of folks asked me if I could do this every week, if this is something that would be helpful to you or interesting to you, because I don't have time to cover all this passage on Sunday. Um, put it on your card, jot it on your card, talk to me personally, say, yeah, I'd, I'd like to have that in there every week. We can do that. And our challenge, it's going to say, take the next week, but basically take the rest of your life to commit to the act of neighboring. But our challenge was to meet four people in our homes and four people near us at work or school. We had kind of a cool event. Our community has once or twice a year a community gathering. And so we had a gathering last Sunday night. And we took care of all eight in one Sunday night, <laughs> a couple hours. We met two of our new neighbors. And then we met some, some, obviously some folks that we know and developing a relationship with. But the instruction here is to know them, to serve them, and become a friend to those who God has called to you to love. Now, I'm certainly excited about where we're going next week. For about a year, I've been thinking about uh, looking at the life of David. I think David is the guy in Scripture the most like you and I. Not in the way that we become kings like he did, but in his, in his inner struggle. So we're going to start that. We'll give you a preview. Uh, start that next week. All right. And you aren't going to want to miss any of these. I think we'll go four or five weeks with David. So please, if all possible, be here with us. Let me have a prayer for you, with you, and the praise team will come and lead us in our last song. Uh, Father God, five weeks. Uh, 
been kind of tough. We like to kind of sometimes just sit here and think about you and about us and so forth. But that's not why we're here. We want to be comfortable, but that's not, not what you've called us to be. You've called us to be, get our hands uh, and, uh, dirty, to be involved in, in, in the messiness of our culture and society and, and the messiness of peace, people's lives. So God, uh, for all of us, the answer may be different. Uh, what, what act of obedience have you called us to? Um, and I pray we're obedient. And we pray for anyone without a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ that might be here this morning or watching. Today's a day you can accept that gift. Uh, if you're a sinner, you qualify. It means we all qualify. If, if God loves you, you qualify. God loves you. Send his son to die for you. It's up to you. Accept the gift to confess your sin to God. Admit that you've done wrong. Ask God's forgiveness. He will forgive you no matter what you've done or how long you've done it. And uh, accept his gift of salvation, forgiveness. He'll come and dwell in you. He'll begin to empower you to change. That's the miracle, beginning of the miracle. And you'll have direct access to Almighty God. We pray for you that you'll make that decision this morning. Name God, most of us, Jesus followers. And so when the rubber hits the road is, you know, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to be hands and feet? And again, uh, reveal your will to us. Let us know whether it's trunk or treat or whatever else we can be involved in and the God that we would do the sacrifice of time, money, resources, uh, talent to be your hands and feet. What a privilege we have to do that. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.